Good evening. Today is Wednesday, March 25th, 2020. Regrettably, we're not able to meet this evening in our standard form, but we will do what's possible within our means to connect and convey to each other the word and grace of God. I am sitting in my office outside my house practicing a safe social distance. I see the vibrant hues of spring green from every window. From where I sit, I see the homesteads of my parents, as well as three of my brothers. I can see the small herd of dairy cows that provide us our milk, the chickens and ducks that give us eggs, the big front yard garden freshly planted and already flourishing. I see my children playing with their cousins, helping around the homestead. They have experienced no alteration to their schedule. They're schooled at home, as was I. I can't help feeling a wave of gratitude well up in my chest. It's not the kind of gratitude that makes me feel proud or self-accomplished. It's the kind of appreciation that humbles me, reminds me of how dependent I am on God, His people, and His Word. Forty-six years ago, this beautiful community was an inner-city church in the slums of Manhattan. From the least likely setting and with the least qualified assets and tools, a band of pilgrims began a journey. They began to journey out of assumptions and into faith, out of dependence on faceless systems and into relationships of cooperation. Their ethos was to take back all the bits of living that had been outsourced to professionals, supposedly to make our lives easier. They imagined they would find a bond in the struggles, a rhythm in the work, a reward in the risks that participating in life might entail. And so, not knowing any better than to believe God when he said to march out of Egypt toward the shores of an ocean, they went. And sure, in their number were some complainers, some grumblers, who would eventually trace their steps back to bondage. But the dream lived on, through the mockery and the threats, even the mistakes and failures. The dream survived hard lessons and even at times painful regret. The dream was shaken and blurred through tearful eyes when they lost Rehoboth. But the vision could be seen again from the bluffs overlooking the Brazos River Valley as God gave them room in the land to flourish once more. And so today, more than 1,200 of us around the world can ponder and take stock of how good God has been to us. We can be grateful for the pioneers of faith in our midst who saw this day and crisis when it was still decades away. And let me be clear, this is a wake-up call. This is a test to reveal the extent of our blind trust in a system that the Bible tells us will fall in one hour. Not one of us has passed this test with flying colors. We're all asking ourselves questions and wondering why we didn't make changes sooner. Yet we are asking these questions while looking at Babylon from some distance. We can be thankful we're no longer in it. And if we have fallen behind or drug our feet in obedience, now is the time to repent, to let this be what changes the promptness of our willingness to match the urgency of God's word. We can be thankful that our children 
have not been part of that system for over four decades now. We can be grateful that our hopes have not been invested in the power or success of Egypt, only to be destroyed when Egypt's wheels start coming off. We can praise God for the land he's allowed us to live on, for the cows, the horses, the crops, but most of all, the relationships, the truth, the life in the spirit that have grown and blossomed and become strong in the struggle to participate in the fullness of life. The kingdom of God, the body of Christ, is meant to be a place of provision, comfort, security, fulfillment, love, and joy. What is the Antichrist system if not that pseudo-community, that virtual reality, propped by illusions and the mirage of man's abilities and invincibility apart from God? So if Egypt is trembling, its gods are losing credibility. And if the gods of greed, rivalry, hedonism, and human knowledge are taking a beating, then maybe the Prince of Peace will receive greater consideration from his exiled body. Almost two weeks ago, I was engrossed in a business conversation regarding preparations and measures to be taken in response to this crisis. Another brother and I sat there, engaged in discussion. I suddenly felt the Holy Spirit descend on me, and the words came, It was a coming famine in Egypt that got Joseph out of prison, and it may just be trouble in Babylon that gets the church out of hiding, out of the imprisonment of its message and gifts, and on display as the true hope and salvation of this time. Some of you will recall how less than a month ago a prophetic spirit moved at the beginning of our Wednesday night meeting and the Lord prompted us to pray for the prodigals, to call out to the dead hearts and the dry bones to come alive. God saw this trouble coming and he was giving us an indication that it is going to shake people's misplaced faith in Babylon, resulting in an exodus. Revelations 18.4 John says, I heard another voice coming from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. In this end-time revelation, the apostle John is hearing the Lord calling his people out of a system a system that makes them unwitting participants in Babylon's sins and as a result causes them to partake also of Babylon's plagues. Babylon means confusion, and confusion is all around us. The false fusion of Christian motifs with secular institutions. There is confusion between two kinds of authority, that of Caesar and of Christ. There is the confusion of two types of community, Babylon, the mother of harlots, and the church, the mother of us all. These are troubling times, not so much because of this virus. I wholly believe we will get past this, and in all likelihood sooner than projected. But what does this virus reveal? It reveals all the hidden assumptions 
the pseudo-faith that we live our lives by. We think we are responsible for taking care of the needs of those dependent on us, but we don't recognize that our supply chain can be gone in hours. We are really entirely dependent on anonymous systems, and if those systems break down, our ability to be responsible goes with it. We bow before the altars of human knowledge and so-called science, but this virus has brought the whole world to its knees. Finance, medicine, food, science, and government, the very pillars of Babylon, are trembling under the invisible pressure of what amounts to basically a glorified cold. Yet, again, if God's people are finally questioning their blind faith in this human-made system, then it is not all a waste after all. Something good can come of this. Jesus warned us not to be troubled or fearful when troubling times come. He said that the coming of the end would be like escalating birth pangs on a pregnant woman. This is not the end. This is just a minor contraction. But the world heaves and rocks under the impact of a virus. This is a blessing because it reveals the truth of our dependency on the world. It exposes the adhesions we have to a system we reject. It gives us time to correct our course, to break connections, and to be free to obey God. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I spoke with an out-of-state realtor yesterday, and he said to me, I don't know what to make of all of this, but one thing I know, we need to put less trust in Wall Street and big money and big government and rely more on family and small community and helping each other. I believe this man was seeing that he is in a community in another state where they could be growing their own food. And instead, they're shipping their food out of state and getting it back through supply chains that are utterly unreliable, at least in a life-or-death crisis. The city on a hill may be barely noticeable when all the lights in Babylon are still shining when all the glitz and glitter and glamour and distractions are still carrying on in the big urban metropolis of Babylon. But when the lights go out in Babylon, but the light still burns in the hilltop city, maybe then the kingdom's exiles will crane their necks toward the hills from whence cometh their help. When the lights still burn in Zion, though the shadows of trouble fall over Babylon. Then will the kingdom's exiles begin to speak with one another and say, Maybe God has an alternative for us. Maybe there's a place beyond this culture, this city, 
where we may till the earth and tend our flocks and eat the fruit of our labors. Maybe there's a way. Maybe there's a hope for our children and ourselves. Maybe there's a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The prophet Isaiah foresaw the glory of Zion in the end times. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But Yahweh will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes around about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar, and your daughters will be carried on the arms. Then you will see and be radiant, and your heart will thrill and rejoice. This is not a time for panic. This is a time for preparation. This is not a time to turn in, to freak out. This is a time to lift up our eyes and be radiant. This is a time for the church to shine. This is a time to take stock of the truths entrusted to us, to assess whether we've lived up to what we've been given. And if we have not, it is a time to repent, to set our hearts and will to do God's will, to be ready to move at his word. For how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It's true, we need to be more prepared with our food, our farming, our essentials. We need to be less dependent on systems made to fall in one hour. But there's something else we need to prepare. We need to gird up the loins of our minds and prepare for action. We need to prepare for obedience, for moving in God's timing. This is a time for gratitude and sober evaluation. It is a time to set our course, to mobilize our faith for obedience. Let me close with the words of Paul to the Thessalonian church. Now may the Lord of peace himself grant you peace, the peace of his kingdom at all times and in all ways, under all circumstances and conditions, whatever comes. The Lord be with you all. Amen. Through the eyes of men it seems There's so much we have lost As we look down the road Where all the prodigals have gone One by one the enemy Whispered lies and led them off as slaves But we know
God of endless mercy, God of unrelenting love, rescue every daughter, bring us back the wayward sons. By your Spirit, breathe upon them, let them know that you alone can save. Spirit. 